Through Scripture, God speaks to his people. Let us hear what God is saying to us today in Joshua, the 24th chapter, beginning at verse 1. Then Joshua assembled all the tribes of Israel at Shechem. He summoned the elders, leaders, judges, and officials of Israel, and they presented themselves before God. Joshua said to all the people, This is what the Lord, the God of Israel, says. Long ago, your ancestors, including Terah, the father of Abraham, and Nahor, lived beyond the Euphrates River and worshipped other gods. But I took your father Abraham from the land beyond the Euphrates and led him throughout Canaan and gave him many descendants. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord. But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve, whether the gods your ancestors served beyond the Euphrates or the gods of the Ammonites, Amorites in whose land you are living. But as for me and my household, we will serve the Lord. Then the people answered, Far be it from us to forsake the Lord to serve other gods. It was the Lord our God himself who brought us and our parents up out of Egypt from the land of slavery and performed those great signs before our eyes. He protected us on our entire journey and among all the nations through which we traveled. And the Lord drove out before us all the nations, including the Amorites who lived in the land, we too will serve the Lord because he is our God. Joshua said to the people, you are not able to serve the Lord. He is a holy God. He is a jealous God. He will not forgive your rebellion and your sins. If you forsake the Lord and serve foreign gods, he will turn and bring disaster on you and make an end of you after he has been good to you. But the people said to Joshua, no, we will serve the Lord. Then Joshua said, You are witnesses against yourselves that you have chosen to serve the Lord. Yes, we are witnesses, they replied. Now then, said Joshua, throw away the foreign gods that are among you and yield your hearts to the Lord, the God of Israel. And the people said to Joshua, we will serve the Lord our God and obey him. On that day, Joshua made a covenant for the people, and there at Shechem, he reaffirmed for them decrees and laws. Shall we pray? Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Help us now to hear and obey what you are saying to us today. We pray through Christ our Lord. Amen. What would you say is the church's number one job? Some people answer sharing the good news of the gospel with the whole world. Others say teaching the children to follow Jesus. 
Still others respond being God's hands of justice and mercy in the world. And even others will say being a place of welcome. Each one of those is certainly among the priority tasks of the church. But if we were to ask classical reformed theologians what the church's most important task is, most of them would answer this, worshiping the Lord. That's it, worshiping the Lord. In fact, the first question of the Westminster Catechism is essentially, why did God put us on this earth? And the answer in the Catechism is to glorify God and enjoy Him forever. In other words, God created us primarily so that we may worship Him. While worship is unquestionably central to the life of the church, there are few places in the Bible that give us detailed instructions on how to worship. The Old Testament um, takes a lot of time talking about worship, but most of us Christians here in the 21st century would say those instructions had to do with worship in the temple years ago and offering sacrifices, so they don't really apply to us. What's more, the New Testament doesn't present us with a manual for worshiping either. Uh, it tells us uh, some suggestions, some guidelines, it tells us that worship should build up the church, and the Lord himself said that we should worship in spirit and in truth. Perhaps as a result, we Christians use an almost endless variety of forms and worships and styles. And because we say that worship is not an end in itself, things can get complicated. We don't worship, after all, just to pray and praise and hear God's word and respond in faith. No, we worship because it expresses and then deepens our relationship with God in Christ. In a real and uh, extremely practical sense, uh, a worship service is kind of like a wedding. That is, we don't have weddings only to get dressed up and look at people who are dressed up even more than us, and then go home, do we? I hope not. Weddings exist to seal a relationship between a man and a woman. One of Scripture's most important images of the relationship between God and His people is that of a covenant. It's true we don't talk much about covenants, but it's good to remember that a covenant, as used in the Bible, that term in the Bible means a set of promises that two parties agree to. In American law, a covenant is a formal written contract. For example, a property owner and a homeowner's association might establish a covenant for how each property owner is to care for their home, and in turn, what benefits uh, these members receive from the homeowners association. One of God's central covenants with us begins with this very basic promise. God promises to be our God. And for example, um, there are rituals 
that go with covenants. There are ceremonies that go with covenants. There are ways of recognizing and celebrating covenants when people gather. Our church establishes covenants of a simple kind with contractors who we hire to do work for us because we're not able to do that work. A bride and a groom enter into a covenant to love and serve each other. That's what happens in their wedding ceremony. Sometimes years later, husbands and wives want to confirm that covenant, and they do that by renewing their marriage vows. Sometimes they say the exact vows that they said years before, and they promise to uphold these original vows forever. Or we might think about covenants in this way. Sometimes longtime friends develop issues with each other, and they begin to separate. Uh, one may, for example, feel the other just isn't paying enough, enough attention to him. So friends might sit down, have coffee, just to clear the air with one another. Or as another example, working relationships may go stale. So a good boss may periodically call on her workers to discuss mutual concerns and review expectations of each other within their workplace. In Joshua 24, God and Israel do something like that. They have gathered, his, uh, the Israelite people have gathered this day in Shechem for a covenant renewal ceremony. That first covenantal ceremony was at Mount Sinai. And so here they are at Shechem this day. The Israelites respond by doing everything God tells them to do. And God finally gives his chosen people who have made the journey from slavery through the wilderness into the land of promise, he finally grants them rest. Rest from their enemies who surround them. However, Israel remains in danger. She's in a strange land. The scripture tells, tells us that the Canaanites had very beautiful women, and her gods, little g gods, were very powerful. So if Israel doesn't keep her promises to serve the Lord, there will be consequences. God will throw her out of the land of promise. And if Israel, who seems to have kept most of her promises, while they made it to this land of promise, uh, if they should forget their promises, if they should stop serving and worshiping God alone, then things will go wrong. Isn't that usually when we turn to God, when we've got a serious illness, uh, when we're in some kind of crisis, when a relationship goes wrong? And then it, don't we easily assume that we don't need God that much when things are going well? When life is good. Joshua perhaps sees that now Israel possesses the land, so she'll be tempted to assume she no longer needs the Lord. They arrived at their destination. There they are. So what does Joshua do? Israel's leader basically invites Israel to renew her covenant with the Lord. And he begins by... Uh, reviewing the amazing grace of God that brought Israel to this place. Starting with Abraham and Sarah, Joshua recounts much of what God has done. 
Yet in verse 14, uh, Joshua begins to speak for himself. Now fear the Lord and serve him with all faithfulness. Throw away the gods your ancestors worshipped beyond the Euphrates River and in Egypt and serve the Lord, he states. Yet, Joshua speaks his most famous words in verse 15, where he tells Israel, But if serving the Lord seems undesirable to you, then choose for yourselves this day whom you will serve. But as for me and my house, we will serve the Lord. Essentially, Joshua challenges his fellow Israelites to throw away all those false gods, those gods of their ancestors, those foreign gods, those gods from beyond the Euphrates, the little g gods. And he asks them to serve the Lord by worshiping him alone. Israel responds by promising not to abandon the God who's already done so much for her. We will serve the Lord our God and obey him, they say. Even when Joshua insists Israel won't do that, that they may say it, but they don't mean it, that they'll not follow through, he says, well, if you're entirely sure, and so a second time they vehemently tell him, we will serve the Lord. Reform scholars suggest that Christian worship is like a covenant renewal, such as the one depicted in today's story. When we gather for worship, we essentially renew the covenant God has made with us through Jesus Christ, his son. In fact, we can say worship <coughs> excuse me, is a bit like reaffirming marriage vows, where Christians have exchanged these vows with Jesus, our Lord, and we take time in worship to renew them. While that sounds like a strange idea, the Bible, the Bible often uses marriage as a metaphor to describe our relationship with Christ. In Isaiah 62, as a bridegroom rejoices over his bride, so will God rejoice over you. Or in Revelation 19, John speaks of the day when the wedding of the Lamb will come, and on that day Christ's bride his church will be made ready. You see, in worship services, God reminds his people of the promises that God has made and the promises that he expects his people to keep. And the church, likewise, has an opportunity to renew that promise every time we worship. If we forget the promises God has made to us, well, the covenant kind of goes away and disappears. You and I are so busy trying to keep our promises to everybody else, we often forget the promises that we've already made to God. People who have healthy relationships, whether in home, workplaces, or neighborhoods, spend time with each other. We talk and we listen to each other. If that's so important in our interactions with other people, think about how important that is in our relationship with God. In fact, keeping relationships intact and healthy may require certain measures, like friends will uh, go to a class reunion together, or couples will go on a marriage retreat, or coworkers will go off to a conference that they attend together. Worship can be a bit like that. 
If we remember the promises that God has made to us and we renew our promises in a special setting, in a dedicated place like a church sanctuary, then there's a chance that the covenant will remain intact. That it would deepen our love for the God who first approached us and offered us his covenant. Husbands and wives renew their marriage vows only because years earlier they first made those vows. Likewise, Christians renew our covenant with God in a service of worship only because years before God has first made a promise to us that we affirm by faith. You know, a covenantal relationship also exists between parent and child. My mom thought the covenant agreement between us was fairly simple. If the dinner table needed to set, I would set it. If the laundry needed carried upstairs, I would carry the laundry upstairs. If the snow needed shoveled from the sidewalk, I would go and shovel the snow from the sidewalk. She could ask me to do it, and I would do it, because we had this agreement, this covenant. Now, if I dared to ask her why, she would usually respond with one word, because. Or if I said why in a, in a kind of not pleasant tone, then she would respond with a little more, because I said so. <laughs> Did you ever hear that from mom or dad? Because I said so. Similarly, if any of us ask why we worship the Lord, the simple answer is because. It's the primary reason we were put on this earth. And covenant renewal is also for our daily living. Regular daily devotions individually with family, with friends, is a way to hear God's promises by reading and contemplating God's word, prayerfully asking God to help us fulfill our side of the bargain, to keep our promises that we have made. I have a book of uh, 365 daily readings and reflections from the Bible that my mother gave me. That's why I've kept it, because she gave it to me. But it's a little difficult if I skip a day. That's because each daily reading is listed not by the date, but by the day of the year, from 1 to 365. So today, instead of November 12, the entry says day 316. I think that today, November 12, 2023, would be a great day for us to renew the covenant we have with God by using John 3.16. So I invite you to do that because the most important job we have as a church is worshiping the Lord because...
Thank you for joining us. A video recording of this service can be found on YouTube or Facebook by searching for Kenmore Church.